Welcome back for another episode of Behind the Headlines. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking about COVID-19 because, as you know, it just hasn't left our lives yet. John will be joined by Andy Scherf, and I'm Jessica Shepard. I'm filling in as co-host today. And here, of course, is John Heiner. Hey, thank you, Jessica, for that wonderful introduction. And welcome to Behind the Headlines as our guest host uh, for this week or co-host for this week. Uh, the inestimable uh, Eric Hulkerin is on vacation. Um, you know, 2022 is already looking bad to a guy if he takes a week's vacation in the third week of the month so our second week of the month i guess so he's already got a great outlook for 2022 but man wherever you are erica hope hope sunshine and you're having fun uh one topic jessica that we it's probably been the most common for the on behind the headlines since we launched it a year and a half ago has been covid uh which is no surprise but we've talked about the public health aspects of covid we've talked about the social aspects of covid the effect on businesses and schools and so forth Today, we're going to make it a little more personal. Um, we are talking about COVID in all of those respects, but also if anybody can hear it in my voice this week, uh, I have uh, tested positive for COVID on Saturday. So I'm currently in quarantine. Um, and the beauty from work from home is that we can do these podcasts and our work from home um, and continue to try to be productive and uh, contribute to society while we're um, also contributing to the COVID pandemic. Um, and our guest today, uh, from our very company is our HR director for uh, MLive and several other markets for our parent company. It's Andy Scherf. Welcome to Behind the Headlines, Andy. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. I was uh, excited for your invitation, but uh, was not excited when you said we were going to continue to talk about COVID as our uh, most popular topic for the last two years. I was hoping we were going to talk golf and uh, what <laughs> courses we were going to play in the spring, but uh, I guess if I got to get on the podcast, this is one way to do it. Well, if you want to go back to the old, old, old days of COVID, if you remember uh, the original uh, lockdown and we were doing crossword puzzles and doing virtual happy hours, but what was the very first thing we could do outside, Andy? Go for a walk. Yeah, well, <laughs> you remember when golf courses open and you had to have a pull cart? And Yeah, you had to have a pull cart. Uh, I remember my golf league started in April and we weren't allowed to ride in the same cart as our partner. So we had to each individually take carts. We weren't allowed to touch the pins. Um, and we had to wipe down the carts after usage. Um, <laughs> they didn't want us to put it into the cup because they didn't want us touching the cup, remember? So, uh, right. And now, uh, you know, it's a little bit more of a, a free-for-all. Isn't it quaint to think back to the beginning of COVID and uh, mm -hmm. people were wiping down their groceries and, you know... We, people were not assembling in stadiums. <laughs> we had limits on, on how many people could be in a confined space. And I guess that's the topic that I want to talk about today. Um, here we are, we went to the original COVID, we went through Delta, we're now in Omicron. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm just to talk personally, since I have COVID at the moment, um, I didn't like hibernate. I didn't like go into a vacuum sealed house for the last, you know, 18 to 20 months. Um, I did what the CDC and what health professionals said to do at each stage, which is, you know, limit contact, stay at home, wear a mask. And as we've evolved, uh, get vaccinated, get my second shot, get my booster shot. And, I, you know, listen to what the health professionals say. And I do know Omicron is like twice as transmissible. Uh, they said the average person who gets it 
you know, infects four people at, whereas, you know, Delta was two. Um, and so I think there, I may represent the, the, the mass of people out there who feel like they've done pretty much the right things and still gotten COVID. And, you know, Andy, you're in a position where you see not just M live and all of our employees, but you work for three or four markets across the country and is, you know, in different parts of the country from your perspective, what have you seen about, we'll get into the business aspects, but just human behavior and, and the kind of feedback you're getting from employees about 20 months in, how people are handling, trying to stay up with COVID restrictions. Yeah, I think, um, you know, as somebody like you as a, a steward of following the rules and, you know, getting the booster shot, um, I think you see a lot of fatigue and I see it, you know, personally with friends, you know, professionally, it's really hard to keep up. You know, I, I point to the example of when the CDC changed the guidelines to five days of isolation, um, which we found out was driven by large corporations needing to get people back to work. So, you know, there was a, is five days the medical reason or was it, you know, because healthcare systems, uh, airlines with their cancellations are without people. And so they need to get people back to work quickly. Um, and then, Michigan says, well, no, we're going to stick to 14 days or 10 days, and then they quickly reverse. And so, you know, I'm over here like, what do we do? Uh, are we 10? Are we 14? Are we five? Um, and then they quickly, you know, change their mind back to align with the CDC. So I think trying to keep up has been one of the toughest parts because, um, you know, I'm not a medical expert. And I think when COVID first hit, everyone runs to HR and says, well, what am I supposed to do? And it's like, I don't know. What did Fauci say on the news today? You know, was he allowed at the press conference at the time? You know, what is his guidance? And I think that's been the toughest part is where do we stand today? And, you know, as you know, we're, we're, we're gearing up for the vaccine mandate um, uh, from OSHA and uh, President Biden's uh, law that he put into place. And, and now that's being challenged in the Supreme Court. So you got to prep like you're getting ready. And then I talked to some of my other HR uh, colleagues in um, other companies, and they're not even preparing for that vaccine mandate. They just assume that it'll get struck down, which, you know, it looked like it might the other day based on some of the justices questions and concerns going forward. So I think staying on top of this has really become a full-time job. Um, you know, I, I mentioned the other day in a meeting to you, John, that 90% of the conversation was COVID related, um, you know, and we're not talking about some of the other stuff as a company. And I think that's really been the struggle of like the job of HR uh, across every different company changed overnight because you now have all these other factors and health and safety being number one priority. And before, when we talked about health and safety, it was slips and falls, you know, back sprains in the production floor, um, you know, workers' comp claims, and it, it's really evolved into keeping your workforce safe and healthy um, and keeping up with the changing times. Um, because as you know, I had the OG version of COVID pre-vaccine um, <laughs> and all that good stuff. So uh, it was a lot different then than it is today. Um, it, and I'm not going to say it's almost more accepted, but when you texted me on Saturday about having COVID, I think I responded to you that you were the 15th person I knew that had COVID at this exact time. So it is worse today than it's ever been, in my opinion. Yeah. I'll say, like, if I go back, if I can go all the way back to the original COVID in March 2020, it seemed like 
there were two main things. One was, geez, I don't want to get, people could die from this. We didn't know what we didn't know about COVID, how serious it was going to be. We treated it very, very seriously. And then the, like you remember the scramble for toilet paper and, you know, gosh, I can't see my mom now. She's across town, but I might give it to her. So there's all that uh, hyper concern, um, the jigsaw puzzles, <laughs> all yes. the stuff we did to try to navigate that. And then we, I remember, you know, once the vaccines came out, it, it focus shifted to normal, getting back to normal. What, when can we, when can we gather as a family? When can I get back in the office? When can we have a whiteboard meeting in the office? We start doing those things. We didn't realize the folly of us thinking, you know, that this pandemic arc would, you know, you know, be a year and over after the vaccines. And then Delta came along. And then that first wave, I hardly knew anybody who got COVID. I may have maybe heard, heard of a few people through work or something. Um, Delta came through and I had a few relatives get it, had some people I knew in my community who got it. You start hearing stories about, you know, someone's in the hospital. With this variant with uh, Omicron, even though it's not as apparently as, you know, not as lethal, uh, it seems to be everywhere. And so why don't you talk, you, you've told us some things about, you just said that a lot of your work time now is spent on this, but you also told me last week, we're getting some people getting it for the second time, mm -hmm. COVID for the second time. So we're, as an HR professional, and not just the time you're spending on this, but how do you, what are you planning for ahead? I mean, are we even in the mindset about return to office anymore? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we, we are, I think we want to be back in some way. And I think it's really dependent because you as the VP of content have to decide, you know, how much do you want to see a Jessica Shepard in the office? What value is there of, you know, uh, of having that office time? And I think, um, I, I think I personally don't want to go back five days a week. Um, you know, I don't even have an office to go back to anymore. Um, so it, it's what is that mix that makes sense? Um, you know, I think we all saw that great resignation of November where four and a half million people just resigned. I know, uh, my cousin uh, just got a new job and partly was based on didn't want to go back to the office three days a week. And, you know, the reason they did three days a week was because the answer was more than half. That was the their company justification for returning people to the offices. They wanted them back and they wanted them back more than 50 percent of the time. And I think the ship has sailed on five days a week. And for most people that have office type settings. Um, but I, I don't I think in you and I have talked about this a lot, John, like there is a people aspect that I do miss, but there is also an unproductive people aspect that I don't miss. You know, the, mm -hmm. the Monday morning water cooler coffee conversation of what'd you do this weekend? And there is some unproductivity based around that, but there is also some companionship that is based on that. You know, and I think um, I see both sides of the coin of I miss people, uh, but I also like being really productive and, you know, kind of controlling my workday. I don't miss commuting. So, you know, that's another right. factor of like, am mm -hmm. I willing, willing to give that time back? Um, and I think early on in COVID, uh, Eric Holker and I talked about this. It was called, they did an article about revenge bedtime is because as human beings, we want to control things and COVID took our control out of us. So we were all staying up way too late because we're like, <laughs> I determine when I go to bed, nobody's going to tell me when I go to bed. And so we were all, you know, staying up, binge watching uh, TV. And, and now I think we've gotten used to some of those bedtimes or, you know, sleeping in a little bit later. Um, and our, our whole day has shifted. And I think that's been the toughest part is like, we do go back to the office. 
how do you ease back into it? Because we're about to hit two years. And this is crazy to me because I've been with the company five years now. 40% of my time has now been spent remotely. And I have all these vivid memories of being in the office. And, you know, Jessica, you bounced around to different offices. So like the different dynamics of like when we return to it, it's never going to be the same as it was. And I think that's what I struggle with. Of whenever we do go back, it's going to be like, you know, I almost feel like we're going to peek around the corner like, hey, like, <laughs> can we come close? Do you have your mask on? Are you vaccinated? And so, you know, I long for some of that human interaction, but I, I also mourn that it'll never be what it was. And right. I think you talk about picking your lunch spot for the day in Ann Arbor, John, of like, that was like, where am I going for lunch today? And, right. you know, when was the last time you really went out for lunch, which, you know, is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah. I sometimes walk over to a deli. It's a block from my, my house and put on my mask and get a black forest mm -hmm. ham sandwich. But I, I really, yeah, everything's changed. And, you know, I want to come back to that. We could talk about that in a little bit, but uh, I'm looking on the screen here because we're all remote right now and I'm looking at Jessica Shepard and I the last time I was in an office I think was Kalamazoo and Jessica was there that day too um and she's in an office right now and Jessica you go in more I go in very sporadically like maybe once a month I'll go into Ann Arbor to pick up some supplies or I'm in town so I pop in hardly ever see people but for someone who goes in the office more right now uh, what's the dynamic like? What are some things on your mind? What are your thoughts about, you know, space and masks and all that? So we, uh, most days, there aren't that many people here. And it's kind of a big office. So you feel like you have the room, you have the room to breathe. Also, everyone here has been vaccinated and boosted. So I think that adds a level of comfort, maybe even though obviously, people can still get COVID uh, as you're sitting there with it right now. But I think uh, it is nice though to have that community. I know with with Andy's job, HR, they're probably it probably is really nice to be home and not get distracted by other people. <laughs> and my job's kind of more on my own at this point too. But for the reporters and the editors, I think there is something really lost when you're not getting to interact with each other right in the same room. I think it adds a level of, I don't know, another bump in the road for communication because you can't just say something. You have to reach out to someone. Oh, can I call you? Can we do this chat? Instead of being able to just go over things, you know, back and forth really easily. So it is nice to, to get to be in a setting where the newsroom's kind of operating in that way that it traditionally has, but it's definitely not 100% the same as it was pre-COVID. And like you said, Andy, I don't know that anything will ever be the same as it was pre-COVID. You're listening to Behind the Headlines, an MLive podcast. I'm John Heyer, the VP of Content for MLive. I'm joined today by co-host Jessica Shepard and director of HR for our company, Andy Scherf. We're talking about the effects of COVID on the workplace, on workers, and society in general. It's it's interesting you mentioned the newsroom because I think that's where John Kelly Frick, the senior director of news, and I talk a lot about the newsroom and what we're missing. And I watched the, the Tender Bar last night with Ben Affleck your George Cody movie, and it's about J.R. Moringer, who's a former New York Times writer. And there's a scene where he's interviewing at the New York Times, uh, fresh out of Yale, um, 
and it's crazy to me to think that you know you could just go interview at the New York Times from out of college in this day and age. But they show him walking through the newsroom, and it's all these crazy reporters typing and working. And I said to my wife because I'm nostalgic about old time newsrooms, um, and I was like, that would never happen today because we just don't have that many people. But there is a component of you could put a entry level person next to the grizzled crime beat reporter. And that's really how they learned. And I think we're cognizant of that as a newsroom, that when the police scanner goes off and, you know, and Jessica, you were an entry level reporter at one point before you progressed, like you learned from the newsroom and the budget meetings and talking at the whiteboard and talking about what stories and that's hard to replicate for a newsroom. And I think, you know, that's one of the things we've worried about is how do you develop and how do you learn to cover those stories without the newsroom there? Uh, and virtually and it's like something something's really been lost um i wrote a column i don't know maybe six months ago i was lamenting covid i've done that several times over the last 20 months but uh one of them i said something like you know the first year covid went by and there's 11 employees who i've never met (laughs) who work for me and you guys know that pre-covid I was on a loop just driving around to offices in our state. We'd hold, you know, planning and training meetings. We'd do all kinds of stuff. We have, at one point, I think we had 11 or 12 offices around the state. And so, um, you know, we're a sprawling organization. And it's never going to, to Andy, I have to agree with you. Something's, miss, we've, something's missing that, that was essential to the social and collaborative model we had to get things done. There's something about sitting in a newsroom overhearing things, contributing, um, keeps you in the know and journalists want to be in the know. You get, we always want to, we're kind of, you know, like they say, we're a mile wide and an inch deep, but we want to know a little what's going on and contribute to the, you know, the whole community of journalists who are working on it. That's, it's really, uh, that piece of that is, is a part of the soul of journalism is missing. And I think it's, it's had an effect, but at the same time, and I think this is a, this is a metaphor for all of the society in the world is you know, we just had in some ways a record year for like, you know, audience, our company performance. We, of course, our expenses are way down because we're not in the offices as much. We're not parking. We're not buying as many supplies. And so our our company is is working and it's working well. We're, our news, our ability to deliver news because of social media, because of the web, because of apps and newsletters. By the way, Jessica is involved in our audio presentations and our newsletters. And if you tune in in the morning, you can hear our morning news report with Jessica's voice, uh, which is wonderful. But we have ways of still being really effective news organization. And so a piece of the soul seems to be missing. I think that's not just journalism. It's, it's a lot of society, the piece of where you go to a family reunion or just hop on a plane. So just like and I, I am prone to hyperbole sometimes, but just like something like 9-11 happens and it really takes 20 to 50 years for historians to really see the effect it's had across society. This pandemic, which is still going on, is affecting us in ways we won't fully understand for a long time. So even though we're functioning as a society and businesses are functioning and the government's sort of functioning, (laughs) I think we're not going to really know the full toll of how this has changed us for a long time. I think um, what... I've come to realize is that we're surviving, not thriving. And, and you and I talk a lot about mental health, uh, just in ourselves and our personal situations. And, you know, before COVID, I, 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 
prided myself on, you know, I can process stuff. I can move through trauma. Um, I'm a happy go lucky person. Uh, my wife gets annoyed with my ever ending optimism because, you know, we could be at the worst failure and I'm like, okay, on to the next, let's move. And, and my mental health has struggled through this. And that was kind of a wake up call for me to be aware of like, is this depression, um, you know, looking aimlessly out the window because I can't go anywhere because I'm on lockdown for 14 days because I was exposed pre-vaccine. Uh, you know, not being around family and friends as much as we were used to. And having that realization of like, am I depressed? Like, and that, if for somebody who it didn't feel that way, I, mean, I think that was the tough part. And I think, you know, John, I think early on in COVID, Jessica, you'll be happy to know, John would play online marbles with my friends and I because he was <laughs> home alone and we would bet on marble races on Zoom. And, uh, you know, John was uh, needing some, uh, some friend time and, you know, that's how we connected. But it really was like this mental health um, emergency. And I think it's still going on as we process the fact that like, are we living our best lives? Are we doing the our best selves? And are we depressed? And I think there's that's been really the struggle of COVID of like, there is no end in sight, but like, when does this fog of, you know, mental health depression or whatever we're all going through lift? And I, that's the part I've really been struggling with. Yeah, and you're an HR professional. So HR isn't just posting jobs and hiring people, it's the welfare people. And, mm. you know, you, you kind of prior finding what the limits of your toolkit are during COVID when, you know, we, we had a little burst in May and June where, whoa, we're going back to the offices and we're going to have some meetings in the offices. And then Delta, you know, Delta surged and we, we had to back off. We were talking again, again about getting back into the offices in 2022 and like building that into business plans. And then Omicron hits and it's the, actually the surge is the biggest America's seen. So um, a couple of things. One, you mentioned that sense of languishing the largest news organization in the world, the New York Times, do you know what their number one red story was in 2021? You've read it. I'm sure you read it. The headline is, there's a name for the blah you're feeling. It's called languishing. Yep. And that story was about, it says the neglected middle child of mental health can dull your motivation and focus, and it may be the dominant emotion of 2021. It was, you're, you are getting through life, you're getting stuff done, but you don't feel that light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, I, I'm going to, I like to make movie analogies. Uh, Eric Halkin probably appreciates it more than the average person, but <laughs> there's a movie called, I there were two Iwo Jima movies done by Clint Eastwood, one from the Japanese perspective and one from the American perspective. And the Japanese one, uh, this guy gets in trouble in Japan. So his punishment is they send him to Iwo Jima. He's a soldier and he gets there and the general is, is in front of his maps and he's planning for how he's going to beat the Americans on Iwo Jima. And he says to the guy who just got there, yeah, and this is the part where the Japanese Navy sails around the other side of the island and bombs them into oblivion and we win. And the guy looks at him and says, uh, got bad news, the Navy's not coming. <laughs> and then you see this guy just get crestfallen and realize his fate, right? And we don't have, <laughs> early in COVID, we were planning for when COVID ended. And now we see that it might be a part, these variations might be a part, even though they're not as deadly, it's more common. Um, it's gonna be probably more variations coming, but we, we don't have any sense that it's gonna end. And I think that that takes a toll on people emotionally and otherwise. 
So since you're both uh, reporters by trade, from being a non-reporter and never written a story, I think you've seen reader fatigue with COVID as well, but at what part do we shift into as a news organization where we're not, you know, it's not a news story that the, you know, the Garland Gilchrist gets COVID or is isolating with his family. You know, Jessica, I think you see a lot of the headlines more on social media as being a part of that group. I mean, at what point do you see this being like, all right, are we really going to talk about this anymore? Or, or it is still news because we still get a lot of eyeballs on it. But at what point as a media organization are you guys like, okay, we got to get, we got to get past this. Like this is no longer news. Take, take a crack at that, Jessica. <laughs> well, I honestly, I didn't think by January of 2022, we would still be focusing on COVID the amount that we are uh, because we all kind of thought it'd be over at this point. But when people, I think when this thing is changing so much, like kids, mm -hmm. not, the hospitalization for children is up. So things keep happening where we want it to fizzle out. And we, I think we all want to start focusing on something else, but it keeps throwing all these curveballs at us. So mm -hmm. I think until it's done with that, it's not affecting people's everyday lives in this, this way where we feel like we're, we're looking out for the next curveball. We kind of have to stay on top of all of that. And it might, there might be some reader fatigue, but they are definitely still reading stories. People are definitely still reading stories about COVID. It's, you know, it's the prominent news story. It still is after all this time. I have a dashboard that shows audience to our COVID stories by month. And obviously 2020 was just off the charts, but <clears throat> you could watch in 2021 uh, and track it up and down with the surges. And then when a surge happens, um, and people start getting sicker and the hospitals get fuller and people travel restrictions, flights get canceled, people read more. And that's, that's like weather. It's like in the winter, our weather readership goes up because, and I hate to say this, but having been in the news media my whole life, but a lot of people, news interest is when people are af afraid or worried about something that might happen <laughs> that hasn't happened yet. Right. Inflation's going up, might lose my job, you know, um, but it, it, it's a fear of what you don't know that might happen. And um, with COVID, that's been a nonstop constant. It's when you say, you know, because people want it. I've heard some people, some talk among uh, friends and family about getting kids vaccinated because we have employees and stuff. We have young kids and they're eager to get their kids vaccinated. So they're watching the CDC. So we have to report on those things. And uh, if something is surging in your community, people want to know, just like crime or anything else. So I don't think we're going to get away from it. Uh, but to Andy, to your point, now that I have COVID and it's like a bat, it's like it feels like a cold. You can see me sitting here. I, you know, I took a shower and everything this morning. I just blow on my nose. I don't want to be stigmatized like typhoid Johnny. I don't want to feel like I'm out there infecting whole communities. Um, so once it's personal, it's like, well, it's not that bad, you know, but it's still as serious for some people. I got got to remember that. Well, and you bring up an interesting point um, because I I was kind of the OG COVID where, you know, lost the sense of taste and smell for multi multiple months. I still hate the smell of coffee and there's certain things that I think are forever changed in my body because I wasn't vaccinated and all that. But you talk about the COVID shame, and I, I think it's being destigmatized, especially with uh, the current variant, because everyone is getting it. But I felt such shame, and maybe some of it was me on myself, like I was being unsafe, 
but also there were you know friends that had digs of like oh what were you doing were you wearing a mask did you do oh you were out in public and it was like well yeah I had to pump gas I had to go to the grocery store like I had to like live my life and you know the restaurants were open so if restaurants were open I was going to them Mm -hmm. but you did have this shame of you did something wrong and I think that's becoming uh, destigmatized a bit, but I, you touched on it, Don. I think you feel that a little bit too, because you do have the power to now infect other people. So there is this shame and guilt that you inherently put on yourself. Yeah. I mean, getting groceries delivered, even I was like, you know, just leave them out the end of the driveway or whatever, you know, um, I'm a monster. Don't come in here. (laughs) You know, and, and you do beat yourself up a little bit, or I did, but then you think, I was boosted. I was vaccinated, boosted. I would literally been wearing a mask since before Christmas. Um, even before I had symptoms everywhere, I go to, to the store. It just felt like with Omicron, it was smart to wear the mask. Um, and you know, it happened. I got it. Uh, Cause yes, we had a family Christmas gathering. I did go skiing up North over the, the new year, um, wore the mask when I was out in public, but uh, I still felt that guilt, like, you know, gosh, I guess I could have stayed home and just vacuum sealed the house and not gone out, but geez, getting on two years, let's just talk about human beings having to be social too. And pretty much following the general guidelines that have been issued. And that's what, that's what we've been doing. So Andy, and just the, go ahead. The economy. You were helping the economy, John. So there's always a give and take you, uh, you went and spent yes. money when you were skiing and all of that. So. Yeah, the, the Boyne, Boyne city is very happy that I was up there. Trust me. Um, except for probably, you know, whoever infected me and I infected or whatever. Um, Andy, why don't we, to just wrap this up, uh, I want to bring this back to the work environment. Um, and looking ahead, I mean, you talked at the very beginning, you touched a little bit on the concerns we have. Some are business concerns, like some businesses you've talked about are mandating people to some degree to come back because they think it's for business efficiencies, but just give a sense for our listeners of how we have to navigate as a company, the balance between employee welfare, business concerns, cost controls, all that stuff that it really, and there's no known factor. There's no known thing, you know, so you're doing this by feel. Yeah. You're doing it by feel you're doing it by division. I think, you know, because content needs are different than HR needs than accounting's needs by sales needs. Um, you're doing it by your office situation. I think, you know, we, we have different office situation now, you know, Jessica's working from a, a different space than she did in, you know, 2019. Um, so what are, what are the logistics of an office? Um, you know, expense as well. You know, I think I would not want to own commercial real estate today in office space right now, because I think a lot of people are shedding that. Um, and to Jessica's point, the ever evolving change. And I think that's the toughest part is we build these plans and, you know, at least for our company, I think we, we've done a great job of planning, putting people's health and safety first. We've been uh, very conservative. If we've had a lot of people back in the office, you know, we built checks and balances to make sure that that was uh, done safely and correctly. Um, so, you know, I, I think all of those things we've tried to be very sensitive about and for every other company, you know, what is their purpose? And I think we've really put employee safety first. Not every company is doing that. They're really putting like business objectives first, um, you know, and they think they got to have people in the office. 
I think that's going to come back to hurt a lot of people. Um, and I think, you know, the one thing I've learned through this whole thing is as a company, you got to be flexible. And the minute we say, this is what we're going to do, mm. there's going to be the, the Zeta uh, variant that comes through and, you know, blows all the doors down. And, and, you know, if, as long as we remain flexible and the toughest part is we plan a lot, we spend a lot of time planning for worst case scenario and then that doesn't happen, which is great, but we have plans in place. And I think that's what companies need to do. Put your employee health and safety first, you know, your business needs and all that are obviously mixed in. Um, and then just, you have to roll with the punches to, you know, Jessica's point of the next thing is coming down the pike. You got to be ready for it. Yeah. There reminds me of an old saying, yeah, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> COVID has been, has been something in that regard. Well, Andy, thank you for joining today, uh, talking about your, your personal and work uh, experiences with COVID and trying to navigate that. Jessica, thanks for wonderful co-hosting co today on a, a pinch hit basis. You're welcome back anytime. And uh, John Heiner, you've been listening to Behind the Headlines.